birthday to a great friend of mine, David Godwin, because today is his birthday, right? And, and how old? Can we ask? 26, 26 years old. Come on. So this is his lovely wife over here, Hannah, who's our service coordinator tonight. So somebody donated, somebody came up. If people donate giveaways all the time. And so if you donate, we'll give them away. So somebody came up and said, here are two uh, $10 Subway gift cards. So we're going to give those to David tonight for, uh, for his birthday. He can enjoy those on his lunch break this week. So, hey, I've got a couple of things I just want to do that I felt like God spoke to my heart. Uh, about for the uh, for the service. One, it comes out of. Uh, I want to read this verse. I want to share something. This is out of First Peter chapter one. Verse two, it says. It says God the Father knew you, and chose you long ago. And His Spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed Him, and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now listen to what it says next. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So on Wednesday, I'm on the way to the, the, the rifle range. I'm testing out some new ammo for my next hog slaying adventure. And all the shooters said, amen. amen. So there's nothing like the sound of rounds downrange to make you feel satisfied at lunchtime. So, so and on my way there, I felt like God just began to drop some things in my heart that I feel like are for both campuses. Every time we share in moments like this, uh, something we feel is prophetic. We don't always do it at both campuses, but I'm going to be doing it tomorrow morning in Williamsburg too. I, I feel like it could be for somebody here, but I also just, even praying for the service today, I felt like it could be for somebody here that you're going to share with somebody at Christmas. Does that make sense? That so you're going to have an interaction with somebody, and this is going to be maybe something you'll have an opportunity to share. So, for, so whichever way it goes. If you are here tonight and you feel like this is for you, I would love to talk with you at the, at the end of the service. But the scenario I felt like God painted for me as I was, as I was driving along was I want you to imagine that you've, you've got a person in this world that, that there's nobody else that you love more than them, right? And your, your thought might go to some people right away, right? And I want you to imagine that person coming up to you and saying, I can't, I can't be your friend anymore. Because so-and-so told me that you said this about me and, and that you stand for this. I didn't even know you stood for those things and just went down a whole list of things. And, and they said, I, because of all these things, I, I, can't be, I, I, just, I can't be your friend anymore. And then you look at that person and say, I didn't say any of those things. I don't believe those things. I don't stand for the, all those things. None of those things are true. And then that person says, I, I just, I can't, I can't take the chance. Just, can you imagine how you would feel? You would be devastated, right? And you would probably be a little bit angry because you would feel just the injustice of it. And you would probably want to, right, the ministry of laying on of hands of the people that are responsible for it, right? Let me take them to the trip to the rifle range, right? <laughs> right, but something inside of you would say, this is wrong, right? And what I felt like God spoke to me was that that's how so many people treat Christ. That, 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 that people come to a place in their life where they say, because the Bible teaches this, and because Jesus stands for that, I can't, I can't be a part of him, and I really don't want to be associated with his church. And I think so oftentimes what Jesus says to us is, that's not what that book says, and those aren't the things that I stand for. And the people that taught you those things, I don't even know who they are. And they misrepresented me, and you've made a decision about me and my church based on a lie and a myth. And, and, and what I want to encourage you tonight is that Jesus is here. And can you imagine if that scenario that we painted was real and that person was in the room tonight and had an opportunity to come to you and say, you know what, I'm sorry. 
Could you, I should not have ended our relationship because of things that someone else said. Can you forgive me? All of us have an opportunity to come to Jesus at times in our life. This, it's part of my own story where I come to him, where I came to him when I was 23 years old and had rejected Christ and his church because of things that I believed that weren't true. And then all of a sudden there's this moment where you find yourself walking with Christ again. Now, now you might say, I appreciate your scenario, but if that were real, that would be really hard for that person to do, to come and say they were sorry. And I agree with that because it hits home when that's you with Christ. It's hard to say, I'm going to come and admit that I was wrong. It's hard to come because a lot of times when we pull away, we make a life statement that's very public. A lot of times when we pull away from Christ and we pull away from the church like I did, we're very outspoken of that, right? Does that make sense? And, and, and the thought of having to, to, to go back, it's, it's very humbling. And the reason why I shared that verse for you out of 1 Peter chapter 2 is because of three words, more and more. That's what Jesus has promises to you. And what he says to you is that you've settled for a life of, le of less and less, and he wants you to rediscover a life of more and more. Don't let the misrepresentation of other churches and preachers who didn't know what they were talking about and misinterpretations of the Bible cause you to reject the one person that you should love in this world more than anyone else. Jesus says, hey, come back to me. You might have a list. I made a list when I was 23 years old of all the things that I knew that I was going to have to give up if I was going to become a devoted follower of Christ. And Jesus said, what are you making that stupid list for? Well, don't make that list. Are there going to be some things that, that you're going to have to change? But well, let's talk about that later, right? If you've got a list, that list will always stand in the way between you and Christ. Because if there are things in your life that you need to change, you're never going to have the ability to change those things without him anyways. He just says, come and walk with me. Let me talk to you about this life of more and more. And then all of a sudden, when you get a vision for the more and more, you lose your appetite for the less and the less. So, Father, we just lift up. If that person is here tonight, we lift them up to you that something would ignite in their heart. To say, I'm going to walk away from the less and less and run hard after the more and more. And Father, if, if that's supposed to be part of a conversation that someone's supposed to have with a family member or a friend during this Christmas season, God, we just pray into that moment right now in Jesus' name that it's just going to be grace-filled, that it's going to be anointed by your power, that it's going to be more effective than, than, any, than, any, than any human conversation could ever have. God, we know that no one can call you Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so we just we just pray the blood of Christ over that moment, that it would be holy, that it would be supernatural, that it would be otherworldly. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said, amen. All right, this is the next thing we're going to do before we get into the sermon. So I got a text just a couple of hours ago from Chad Morgan, and uh, uh, part of this church, good friend of ours, and, and, and he's visiting family. This is his niece's son, Waylon. And, uh, and he's on his way in for open heart surgery. I don't think the surgery is today, uh, but uh, they're heading to Houston. What's that? Monday. Monday. It's Monday. Open heart surgery on Monday. And so he just sent me a text and said, can we pray? for And this is what he said. I remember when the church prayed for Daniel Ramos' mother. Come on. In the text, right? So he was, right, I was like, How, I'm going to say no to that, right? So... So, but we're never going to say no to prayer. Come on. So, so we just want to lift up little Waylon to you. Little Waylon. So we want to put his picture up there. So you can just get a vision for him that you're going to be praying for him over the next several days. Father, we lift this child up to you tonight. 
We know that you are the great physician, that you are the master healer, and we pray that you would touch his heart. We pray that you would just begin to work even now supernaturally in his little body. We pray, Father, that, 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 that you're going to give him a long life here on this earth that's filled with moments of bringing people to you, that's filled with moments of demonstrating your glory, that there is going to be a story and a testimony that's going to come out of this place that they're at now, God, that, that he's going to be able to look back and say, even when he's older and they're telling him about this story that he's not going to be able to remember because he's too young, that he's going to know, hey, God saved my life because I have a purpose. I have a destiny, God. And so we pray into that tonight. We pray for the parents. We pray for the family. We pray for your comfort. We pray for your peace that would pass all understanding, would just envelop them, that they would just have a sense of trust in your sovereignty, that even in this place of crisis, that they would rest in knowing that you are their God and that you always have their best interest at heart. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, so we are in a series entitled, It's a Wonderful Life, in part because the vision statement of our church is heaven now, heaven forever, that we don't believe that you've got to wait until you breathe your last to experience the goodness of God you can experience in the here and now, and we, we don't think that you can experience all of heaven, that's why we say heaven now, the, the first heaven is a lowercase h, and the second one's with a capital H, because we, we know it's still just a foretaste, but oh, come on, it's a good foretaste. Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart if I had not believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so we're talking about this idea of, of a wonderful life, and we're, and we're merging that in with the Christmas narrative, and that, that as we got into it last week, that there is some teaching, there is some principle, there is some truth in the narrative of the story of the birth of Christ that helps us understand how we can begin to walk out this idea of a wonderful life. And so how many people watched it this week because we brought it up last week? Anybody? Oh, come on, nice, nice. All right, so we're doing, next week, we're doing the big test, doing the big trivia, got all the questions in place, and so that gives you a chance to maybe watch it again and come ready, bring your A-game, because we'll be doing some giveaways for that. So but what I thought we would do tonight is uh, just a little conversation about the film that uh, you're, maybe it's your favorite character. I'm going to be talking about my favorite scene later on in the sermon, but it could be a favorite scene of yours. It could be a quote from It's a Wonderful Life that you and your family use. So any, any of those, somebody, sh shoot your hand up. A favorite person, favorite, f favorite scene, favorite line. Anybody? April. Yep. Yep. When they, after they get married, they move into that old house and they make it just all quaint, even though yeah, you make the best of your circumstance. Come on, that's a great scene. Denise, is that you back there? Yeah, 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 yeah. The scene where he's a little boy and the working, working. I like what that scene too, where, where where Violet comes in and she says, "I like him." And I think that's is that Mary who ends up marrying. Says she says, "You like all the boys, right?" That's that's great. Violet is trouble. Violet. Somebody else. Favorite scene. Favorite character. You like Clarence? I know Clarence is great, isn't he? Who, who's Clarence? Anybody want to say? Angel. angel. Clarence is the guardian angel. All right. Somebody else. Come. Favorite scene. In the middle. Joy, and then we'll hit Nathaniel. Every time a bell rings. I should have brought a little bell tonight. Maybe we'll do that next week. We'll just ring it and say, what does that mean? We'll make that part of the test. Nathaniel? Yeah, yeah, when he finds his flowers. When he find, that's a nice segue because that's going to be part of my favorite scene that we're going to get to in just a minute. Jim, Cindy. 
Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's my, you guys, did you guys work on that together, right? Set that up. You know, you, know, you know the same God. He's whispering. So I'm going to get to that because that's my favorite scene of the movie. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. So, so in the Christmas story, what we, what we put out to you, the, what we suggested to you last week, is that there are five responses that God is trying to teach us through the story. Of, he's trying to teach us a lot through the story of the birth of Christ, but this is one of the threads in the fabric of the teaching of the, of the narrative of the birth of Christ, that there are five responses that we will have as human beings when we come to a place of realization that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. There should be an adoration response. We learn that from the shepherds. There should be an evangelism response. We learn that from Joseph and Mary. There's a purpose response. We worked through all of these last week. You can get it on the podcast, and at the end of the series, we'll put all the notes online on the website for you. Four of these we're supposed to grow into more and more, and one we're supposed to grow out of more and more. Remember that? So we talked about Herod. There's a suspicion response that the king in me has to learn how to be surrendered and submitted to the king of kings. And so we talked about that a little bit. And the last one is this idea that the wise men or the the magi, that there's a material response that they bring. And I don't think it's coincidental. I don't think it's accidental. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, that all of those little details and all those little pieces and the parts of the story that God puts in there to teach us something. And I think that part of it is God saying to us, there should be a material response, an outflow of generosity that comes from our lives when we live from a place of believing that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. In Matthew 2, 1 through 11, we're not going to go there, but if you're a note taker, I wanted to just put it in here. Uh, this is the, the text that we're working from that brings us to the culminating verse in verse 11 that is our life verse. We pick a life verse for every series that talks about how they bowed down and they worshipped him. There's, there's lots of ways that we can worship. We understand that. That's part of the concept of an adoration response. But the one that God led them to do, the way that he led them to worship was through the presentation of material possessions. A lot of scholars even believe that it was through those material possessions that that's what funded they would have been from humble circumstances and all the traveling they would have done to down to Egypt and then back again that that was God's way of creating a financial provision for them as a family to be able to travel and then we also broke down all three of the gifts last week that there's a prophetic voice that often comes through our material response so we talked about what it meant the gold the frankincense and the myrrh and how that represented prophetically things different things about Jesus's life. My material response is simply the outflow of generosity from my life in light of who I believe Jesus to be. Now, when I was praying through the the message earlier today, when I got to this picture, I wanted to pause and just put the sermon on pause and share something else I felt like God put on my heart. Because this is is my favorite scene in the movie, too, just like Cindy shared and what Nathaniel referenced, too. Because she gives him this flower, that's why she's not feeling good, because she didn't want to put her her coat on on the way home from school, and so she didn't want to crush the flower, and so that's why she's not feeling good, and so he ends up putting some petals in his pocket. But as I was looking at that picture uh, this afternoon, just praying over this message, I thought, about my relationship with my own daughter Claire right and so we have a little routine that we do uh, when she goes to bed every night we say the Lord's I have a, a prayer that I say with the boys and then every night Claire and I do the Lord's prayer and and uh, and as she's doing the Lord's prayer she tickles my nose with her eyelashes right and then I tickle her nose with my eyelashes and we do that back and forth while she's doing the Lord's prayer and then at the end she likes to feel the whiskers on my head right so she likes to so so and you know what, one day, she's probably going to be too big to do those things. 
There's going to probably come a time in her life where she doesn't want to do those things with me anymore. And you know, that's okay because that's part of growing up and that's part of the changing a relationship. But I'm, sh- I'm sharing that tonight with you. If you are a father and you've got young kids, you've got to be willing to do the things with them that one day that they're going to outgrow so that when they're older, you can do the things that you're going to grow into for the rest of your life. And if you're a father and you're saying, I'm not going to do those things because I know they're just going to outgrow them anyways, then you are never going to create the foundation that's going to create the possibility for the deeper things and relationships of your tomorrow. So, so if you're not willing to be silly with your kids, then they're not going to invite you in to be serious with them when it matters. It's part of being a dad. It's you got to let your ego go. This, this, this false definition of masculinity that we're given, we have to be this tough guy. And, and, and there's this idea of being the protector of your family. I get all that. But you got to be willing to get down, have fun with your kids. I, if your child is a teenager, especially if, if you have a daughter, she should be getting texts. You should be sending her silly selfies, right? And if you don't know what that is, you can go talk to them over here. And if you say, I don't have a phone that can do that, then you should go buy one tomorrow. You can go back to carrier pigeons when they, grow, when they get out of your house, right? you got to keep up with the technology of your kids so that you can meet your kids where they are. If you don't invest in the life now, then you're not going to have a life with them when they get older. And, and if you're here tonight and you're saying, I have already have struggles with my kids, the way that it restarts is for you to humble yourself. You make a list of the things that you know you did not do when they were younger. Take them out to lunch. Take them out to dinner. Oh, be humble and just ask for their forgiveness. Say, I know I wasn't there for you. I know I made work more important than I should have. And I shouldn't have missed those games. I shouldn't have missed those recitals. T- if you humble yourself, your kids are waiting for you to ask for their forgiveness. It's not going to happen overnight. But you can begin to rebuild a journey of trust with them. You want to get to a place in your life where you've got the pedals in your pocket. Okay, that's another sermon for another time. All right. So, so, so last week, we, we said that, that this idea of a material response is given to the world for many reasons, but one is so that we can see inside of ourselves. That, that your material response enables you to see inside of your immaterial self. Right, so we use the analogy of when you're sick or when you have a broken bone and you go to the doctor and you get an x-ray or you get an, an MRI, that there's, there's, there's technological advancements that enable you to see inside of your physical body. And I believe one of the reasons why God made the material response part of the Christmas narrative is because he wants to know that one of the reasons why he created material things, yes, for us to enjoy. We believe that. We, we teach on that a lot here, right? That's part of the heaven now, heaven forever. But one of the reasons why he created material things, that it's through Looking at our material response by observing the outflow of generosity from our lives and observing the outflow of generosity from other people's lives, you get to see inside of people. You get to see the inside through how they live through their material possessions. So last week we talked about we see inside of our heart. So tonight we're going to cover, I think, this one and we're going to do the third one next week. But tonight we're going to talk about this idea of POV. Who knows what POV is? Anybody know that? Point of view. It is point of view. And, and, and the origin of this term, the origin, although it's used in, in, in lots of different ways in culture, it's part of our vernacular, your, your point of view, your POV, is it's, it's, it finds its origin in the film industry. 
It finds its origin in cinematography. That the point of view is it speaks to the, 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 the camera angle, especially when it's the camera angle of the main actor and you don't see the actor, but you see through their eyes. You with me when you're watching a movie and, and you're moving, if you get motion sickness, right, these are the scenes where you always close your eyes. So, right, so you, you're, it's from their, their, their point of view. And so I believe that your material, material response, the outflow of generosity from your life, enables you to learn about your point of view in life. It enables you to observe the point of view of other people's lives. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going we're gonna to dig into some texts tonight, several of them. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. It says, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? They were not deterred, right? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. That's not really the answer they were looking for. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, this guy likes to have conversations with himself, doesn't he? My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The essence of this idea of a POV or a point of view is to cause us to ask the question, what matters most to us in this life? It it presses us to say, at the end of the day, what really matters to us. When when, when we're really serving our lives and trying to figure out what's my orientation to life, what's my worldview, what's my point of view, there are people in this world, like this person in the parable, that they over-identify with this earthly realm, that they're very temporal in their point of view. And what Jesus is saying, hey, I created this material world. I want you to enjoy this material world. I created things for you to have, for you to be able to enjoy this life, but never at the expense of displacing the point of view that you're supposed to have, that is supposed to be eternal in nature. That we must never let our enjoyment of material things to cause us to forget there's other things in this life that are much more rich. All right, Matthew 6, this is the verse that gives us the concept of point of view. We find it right here in Scripture, Matthew 6, verse 19. Listen to what Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths cannot destroy And thieves do not break in and steal. Now I'm going to jump over to verse 22. Here comes to the point of view. Your eye, your point of view, 
is a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Jesus isn't talking about a physical eye there any more than he's talking about a physical ear when he says, he who has an ear, let him hear, right? When he uses that statement, he's talking about the ear on the inside. He's talking about the ear of your immaterial self. He's talking about the part of you that's able to hear and receive the truth that he's teaching. And it's the same here. He's not talking about a physical eye. He's talking about your point of view. He's talking about your life orientation. He's talking about the things that matter to you the most. Your point of view can either be a source of light into your life that is life-giving, or it can be a source of darkness into your life that is destructive. When you connect this text to the text of the story that we just read and the Gospel of Luke of the two sons that are fighting over their father's estate, and then the parable that we're given to the man that we see that we're contrasting here to terribly different points of view. God is saying there's lots of ways that you can invite good into your life or you can invite bad into your life. And one of them is through your point of view. Are you going to live for temporal things or are you going to live for eternal things? And if you're not sure where you fall out, where your point of view comes from, then begin to look at the outflow of generosity from your life. Begin to look at the material response that comes from you whenever you have an opportunity to be generous towards other people. And as you begin to observe your own material response, as you begin to observe your own outflow of generosity from your life, you will begin to learn what kind of point of view you live with. We, we hear these parables. We read these stories about these two sons fighting over their father's estate and we say, let it be that that would not ever be me. And Jesus says, I hope that same thing for you. And if you want it to be different, then begin to change the way that you think. And that's what brings us to the next text. If you're looking for some things to memorize, if, if, you're looking, if you've never been a person that, that's committed some verses to memory, I, I want to suggest these two to you. I want to suggest Psalm 1, and I want to suggest Philippians 4. And I'm going to give you an abbreviation that's going to help you with Philippians 4. But in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Right? But his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord. And it does, he meditate both day and night. And he'll be like a tree that's planted by rivers of water, bearing fruit in season, his leaves will not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Psalm 1 is contrasting two terribly different points of view. Psalm 1 is contrasting two very different points of view that we can have in this life. And God is saying to us, if you want to have a point of view that is eternal in nature, if you want to have a point of view that's not too easily displaced by the material things of this world, then develop a relationship with this book and fill your mind with the truth that you will find there. And when you begin to fill your mind with the truth that's in this book, then you become like that tree that's planted by rivers of water, bearing fruit in season. Your leaves will not, because you have a point of view that is healthy, because you have a point of view is godly. He doesn't take us out of this temporal world, right? Well, he might if you're really in trouble, right? But, but he doesn't take you out of this temporal world to, to, to change your point of view. He wants your point of view to change while you're in it, because that's what makes it beautiful. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Tenor P-L-A-E-P, right? You can remember that. T-N-R-P-L-A-E-P. If you can remember those letters, you can remember this verse. T 
Tenor, P-L-A-E-P. That's how I learned it years ago. And, and, and so we were joking about this person that likes to have a conversation with himself. If you're a devoted follower of Christ and you're not having conversations with yourself, then you're probably spiritually languishing. Does that make sense? Part of your journey as a devoted follower of Christ is you've got to talk to yourself, right? When, you, when you're having thoughts that are flowing through your mind that you know that aren't supposed to be there, you're not supposed to be a victim. You're supposed to talk to yourself. I have conversations like that. When I'm out and about in life and I have temptations like you have temptations and, and things that, that you see that you don't even tend to look at all of a sudden creates images, right? You, you have to talk to yourself. So I talk to myself, right? When I'm riding in the car, you're looking for the person that's in there. You think I'm on the speakerphone. I'm talking to myself, right? I say, brain, we're not going to think those thoughts. You're given to me to serve me. I don't serve you. I go to Philippians 4. We're going to think about things that are true and noble and right pure and lovely and admirable and only things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Tenor P-L-A-E-P. You can remember that, right? Because when you're out and about in everyday life, you might not have one of these with you. Or it might be on your phone, but don't pick that up because if Kevin Telly's behind you, he's going to give you a ticket, right? It's got to be in here. It's got to be in here. You don't have to memorize the whole book, but you should have a few. Psalm 1. You can say, I'm not going to be a person that listens to the counsel of the ungodly. I'm going to meditate on God's word. You, take it, you don't have to memorize it verbatim all the time. Take, under, just be familiar enough with it to use it to talk to yourself about the truth of God's word. If Jesus was fully divine, which we believe that he was, when he faced temptation, if God's word was the first thing that he reached for, how much more should it be for us? There's something to be said for leading ourselves. There's something to be said for in moments like that when we know that something's tugging at our point of view, that we've got to pull back in that moment with the strength of the Word of God as He gives it to us. All right, let's look at Revelation 18. Revelation 18, I'm going to start reading in verse 14. Now, now this comes out of Revelation, which is an apocalyptic book, and, and, and we're getting ready, if, if, if you're reading through the Bible, and you're, we're going to get ready to get to this, and there's lots of great commentary that's all over the place online that you can begin to read, and I would encourage you to find some, some commentaries that, that you can look at. If you want some recommendation for that, let me know, and I can email you, you some that you can use to help you sort through a lot of the imagery that's, that's in this book. But this one, Revelation 18, is talking about the fall of Babylon, and Babylon is used here as a metaphor, as it often is in Scripture, for a point of view that is godless. It, it's represented to, to give us an example of a life that's, that's, that's absolutely void of God in, in its entirety. And so you get to the chapter 18, you get to verse 14, and it says, the fancy things you love so much are gone, they cry. All your luxuries and splendor are gone forever, never to be yours again. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance terrified by her great torment, and they will weep, and they will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in the finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls, and in a single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone. It's sobering, isn't it? All the things that we enjoy, there's things in, in this life that I enjoy, Things in life that, that you, especially going into this Christmas season, right? 
I mean, I think sometimes that the, 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 the church maybe takes that conversation maybe farther than it's supposed to. The world hasn't made material things center in the Christmas story. God made material things center in the Christmas story when Jesus was born into the world. It's supposed to be part. We're, we're not supposed to abandon material things. We're not supposed to let material things displace the honor that Christ deserves. But God says, no, these things are supposed to be a part of the Christmas story. It was God's idea for people to exchange gifts at Christmas. That's not man's idea. The United States didn't come up with that. God came up with that. This idea of exchanging gifts is such a beautiful part of the Christmas season because it creates an opportunity for us to have a material response that's the outflow of our revelation of who Christ is. It gives us an opportunity to be generous to other people and for us to receive generosity in turn. And in this Christmas season, if you were to take all the material things, which some churches it seems like through the message that they would say, you would actually be removing the things from Christmas that enable you to see inside of your heart. And that's why God put him there, so that you could see inside of yourself and so that you could see inside of people around you. He wants us to be able to see the condition of our immaterial self, especially when it comes to our point of view. So what about the rich young ruler, you might ask? Matthew 19 and Mark 10 and, and, and Luke 18. I don't think that the story of the rich young ruler was given to us by God because he intends all of us to make a vow of poverty. I think we're given the story of the rich young ruler because God's trying to introduce us to his sovereignty. He's trying to remind us about the concept of divine ownership. He's trying to remind us this idea that all that we have and all that belongs to us, it's his anyways. And, and, and if he's ever going to step into our lives and ask us to give it all away, then that might be a part of your journey. It could be part of my journey at some point in my future. We don't know the answer to that question. If it is, though, then it's because God is trying to teach us something deep or possibly to protect us from something that's going to harm us. But these texts are not supposed to be given to the world to say that every person who is a devoted follower of Christ, at some point, if you get spiritually mature enough, right, you're going to get to a place of, of poverty. It's a misuse of those texts. It's a misuse of those stories. The sovereignty of God is the foundational, I think, doctrine of all of Scripture. And there has to be something inside of my life that says, God, be it unto me however you would desire. I believe in something that, that's called a, a, a material destiny. I don't think that every person in this world has equal opportunity to become equally material wealthy. I, I don't follow that stream of, of, a, of, a, of a, the, the, the uh, um, prosperity message stream, right? It, you get into that a little bit, it's almost as though if you follow these certain formulas that everybody has an equal opportunity to, to, to achieve a certain amount of wealth. And I always ask, the, what, where, where does that leave the sovereignty of God? I think the sovereignty of God determines oftentimes the, the measure of wealth that we're going to have. Now, there's principles that we can put into place that will affect our ability to reach our destiny just like anything else. But I, I believe in a material destiny. I think that different people are going to reach different places of prosperity in this life that's part of God's plan, just as it is with any other gift, just as it is with all the other parts of the journeys of our lives. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Oh, this is a good verse. Listen to this. So put to death the sinful earthly things. Lurk, lurking's a good word, isn't it? It's like scary movie, right? Lurking, don't go in there. 
have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And right, we, we read those things and we say, of course I shouldn't be involved in those things. But listen, listen to where Paul goes next in his letter to the church here in Colossae. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Strong language, isn't it? It's striking sometimes the lists that God gives us in the Bible. So oftentimes the church has a reputation for, for zeroing in on these things as if these things are really bad. And, and then we forget that there's lots of other things that we just don't like to talk about that's in that same list. And I think one of the reasons why we don't like to talk about those things is because those things are a part of our life. So we like to try to, right, it's, it's, we try to focus on other things. The Bible has a lot to say about gluttony. The Bible has a lot to say about the sin of forsaking rest. The Bible has a lot to say about letting greed and unforgiveness and bitterness and anger. and Right? All of these things. that These things, these things over here might not be part of your life, but these things might really be present. And Jesus says, hey, let's, let's not work on what they need to change. Let's work on what you need to change. Right? And if all of us could walk in that place of humility, I'm saying the world could be a better place. I'm not anti-material possessions. I am, however, anti-material dominance. The question that we ask ourselves is, am I in authority over my possessions or are my possessions in authority over me? Do I possess my possessions or do my possessions possess me? Do I dominate over my material possessions or do they dominate over me? Do I rule over my material possessions or do they rule over me? If, if when you look into your heart, you have this sense of 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 not being in control of what you have, being driven by them, then I would say your point of view is probably a little bit too much over-identifying with this temporal world. But if when you look at what you have, the first thought that you think is, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? Right? What, what do you want me to do with your stuff? Then I would say chances are that you've got a healthy POV. You've got a point of view that identifies with him, not with these. And the only way that you identify with these is because you understand that they belong to him. And when we understand that these belong to him, there is a measure of generosity that begins to flow out of our lives. It is a material response, and then through that, you can see inside of your own spiritual condition. This is an important verse for me. Because... I've heard people say that Jesus doesn't value material things. I've heard sermons where, where, where it is as though they say that Jesus doesn't even promise anything material. But then you come to texts like this. This is in their Bible. It's in my Bible. It says, I assure you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields because of me and the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. And listen to what the text says. Now at this time. And this verse is given to us in the Gospel of Mark. Right here, Jesus is promising us material things. Right now, here in the text, Jesus is saying, part of my blessing to you is going to be through material blessings. It's in the here and now. And what does it say? Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields with, with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. God wants to shower us with goodness. And part of that showering in goodness is going to be material things. But when those material things come to us, there should be something inside of us that says, you know what, God, I'm going to have more fun giving some of this stuff away than I did getting it for myself. 
So we were coming home from the, uh, the rehearsal. We did a, 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 our last wedding of the year with Rich and Kelsey. So Vanessa calls it our, our first cross-campus union. So, because Kelsey was part of the Williamsburg campus, and so Rich was, so we take credit for their, their life together. And so, <clears throat> just saying. And, and so we're coming home from the, the rehearsal dinner on, on, uh, on, on Thursday night, and I get this text from, from, from Kevin Tully, and, uh, who's not here tonight. He's working. He's a Newport News police officer. And, and uh, many of you are familiar with Anzio's. It's a restaurant that a lot of us go to here in town up off of Route 17. And the, uh, the, the, the family who owns that uh, is, is, is a Muslim family. And the, the, we, we've kind of just, you know, just taking that burden on of praying for them. You know, reaching out, just showing them love. Just showing up there in force. And, and uh, we've got a lot of people in the church have gotten to know them very well. And the, the, the husband... Uh, has, has been diagnosed with cancer. And, uh, and they're a, mod- a family of modest means, and so they've been doing some fundraisers, and we've been participating in that as a church a little bit. And so just uh, this week, uh, there was someone who came into their store, and they have a, a bucket on their, on their counter next to the register that is when you check out if you want to make a donation to his cancer fund to help raise money for his treatment that, that he needs. And, and so there, this, this, this person, this gentleman comes in, and, and, uh, and when the, the, the person waiting on him turned their back and no one was in the restaurant, he shoves his hand into, into, into the bucket, right? He has a point of view that's not very good. He takes all the money that's in there and shoves it in his pocket. What he, what, what he does not know is that, that there's a video camera filming all of this for him, and uh, and so Kevin said, "Hey, could we, you know, mention this in the church?" I said, "Well, is the person who took the money a member of our church? Because <laughs> if they, because we have a lot of people now." And so, so Kevin said, "Hey, could you know, could 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 we just let people know that happened? Because people might want to to help make up the." The, the difference. And I said, absolutely, come on. I mean, we're preaching about generosity, are we not? And so I'm reading this, this email, and I'm driving home from, from Williamsburg, and then God speaks to me and says, Fred, I want you to give. And I was like, let's talk about these other people they are going to give, God. And, and, uh, and, and so I felt like God spoke to me and said, hey, I want you to give $50 to, to this thing, and right? And so I, I'm, not, I'm not really any different from you, okay? I'm just saying, right? If you're looking for a church for that, I'm not that guy, right? I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking to myself, it's Christmas, right? I, I don't, I mean, I could, a lot I could do with that, that $50, God. And so God, this is, I, God said, are, are you, aren't you, aren't you preaching about generosity in the sermon series at your church? I mean, are, really? And so I, this is part, we have to talk to ourselves, right? There's humanity in all of us. The king in me has to find a place of deference to the king of kings. And so I say, God, what am I doing? I, you know, stop talking to myself. Like, what, what are you, what are you talking, of course we're going to give. All that I have belongs to you, God, right? You have to begin to. Talk to yourself. You have to begin to talk to your humanity so that the Holy Spirit can be the dominant influencer of your will. So I said, God, of course, we're going to give 50. If you want us to give more than 50, God, we'll give more. You, it's all yours. It's all yours. So I kid you not, I get home. I get home. It's late, and we've not gotten the mail yet. And I go to the mailbox, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling out the mail, and, and there's an envelope that looks like a check in, 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 in the mail, right, which I'm getting excited about. But a lot of times... Right? They make it look like a check to make you open it, right? That's right. Those, those are bad people. Bad people. Bad. Okay? So I open it up, and sure enough, there is a refund check in there from a medical bill that we had overpaid, $49.53. And I said, God, you owe me 47 cents. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't 50 you know why? 
Because it's a good reminder to me of how this life works. God's always picking up the tab. He's always paying the bigger portion. At the end of the day, whatever he asks it costs us, it's really at the end of the day, it's just 47 cents and he's paid 49.53. That's just who he is. That's how he rolls. Right? I invite the worship team to come back up. I'm just telling you this season. There's a place of generosity that you might be able to step into. I'm hoping that some of you are going to step into that place of generosity. Now, i got a check right here for $50. It's made payable to Lynette Tully. If you can't trust Lynette, you can't trust anybody in this world, right? So you, you might have some, some cash. You're, we're going to give it to Hannah because Lynette is working with the kids. So if, if God's speaking to your heart about Anzios, we're going to give these to Hannah. She's going to give those to Lynette. If you're going to write a check, you write a check, make it payable to Lynette Tully, and she's going to cash it out, and she's going to give the money to them, right? I'm just saying, it might not be this moment. We're not creating a high-pressure situation here. That's up to you. God's going to speak to your heart. But he's going to speak to your heart about something this Christmas, I'm telling you. He's going to speak to you about some moment of generosity that's going to be beyond, be beyond what you're used to doing. Because he wants you to see inside of yourself. So often it has nothing to do with the person that's going to receive it. So often it has nothing to do with the blessing that's going to flow to them. It's about you. It's about your journey. It's about your walk. And he wants you to have a wonderful life that's filled with the more and more and running away from the less and less. Stand with me. Father, we just step into this moment with you with an open eye and a listening ear. Whatever it is that you would want to speak to us tonight. Maybe I'm the, the person that's walked away from you and walked away from your church for all of the wrong reasons. And maybe tonight you're saying to that person, hey, just not asking you to change anything about your life. I'm just saying, hey, walk with me again. Maybe God, it's someone here that they already know who they are. That it's a moment of generosity that's not about Anzios. It's about something else that you've been talking to them about. And they've just been running from you with a clenched fist. And tonight's really about them just letting it go. Stepping into the moment of generosity that you were already leading them into. Maybe tonight, Father, it's for a person that's here that's just been living with a secret that nobody knows. And it has become the unbearable burden to carry. And then tonight is going to be the night that they find someone that they can trust, open up their heart, and let someone else see it. Father, we know that you have the ability to deliver us from anything that our lives have become entangled in. We know, God, that you have the power if we would only open up the dark places of our heart and to let your light shine in all the wonders of this life that you would enable us to see and to walk in and to live with and to live for. And you want us to have a life that causes us to feel deep in over our heads with your goodness all the days of our lives.